when you're going in the studio with someone and they're recording on your song, that something needs to be done. So you just want to do your research into those legal pitfalls. So you're able to either hire someone to help you avoid them, or you can avoid them on your own. Hello and welcome to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now, I started this podcast as a way to give you access to the thoughts, ideas, and suggestions from people who actually work every day in the music industry on how to move your music career forward. Now, I'm blessed to have helped launch the career of superstar Taylor Swift, and I served as her manager for two years. I currently manage American Idol winner Trent Harmon, consult Scott Morchetta and the Big Machine Label Group, and have been helping thousands of artists around the world navigate the music industry. By the way, contrary to popular belief, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com. Take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help you make sure that you are on the right track. Enjoy the podcast. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. All right, so we are going to talk legal. And luckily for you, it's not going to be me, but my buddy Colin Marr, who's an entertainment attorney now located in Nashville. Not always the case. Never. Young guy, super smart, went and said, you know what, this law thing, I'll just go get the entertainment side of it. Or let's talk a little bit about you first. And then I want to talk about some of the biggest questions I get asked by artists Mm -hmm. when it comes to the law. And the first thing I always tell them is I'm not a lawyer. Seek advice from an entertainment attorney. Yes. But there's some general things that we can talk about that I hope will be able to help folks. Yeah. Tell, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. So my name is Colin Marr. Uh, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Grew up there. Went to school in Boston, law school in Boston. Uh, I actually practiced law up in New Hampshire for a couple of years okay. at, at a large law firm before deciding that I wanted to go out on my own and do my own thing. Was music always what you wanted to do or maybe in the back of your mind? Yeah, it, intellectual property was always in the back okay. of my mind. And, and explain to those that might not understand what intellectual sure. property yeah. is. So intellectual property is uh, your copyrights, your trademarks, and your patents. So uh, when it comes to the music industry, uh, you're dealing, of course, a lot with copyrights and a lot with trademarks. Uh, so I, I had always fallen in love with that through law school. Okay. Um, and you know what? I decided... I'm going to pick up and move to Nashville because I figured it's the best place to do it. Uh, There's a lot going on here, that's for sure. Exactly. So I moved down here a little over a year and a half ago, uh, started up my own practice, passed the bar down here. So you have to do that. When you leave one state to practice law in another state, you need to take their bar? Yeah, take the bar. How much longer is that? So it's like you already went to law school. Yeah. So how long does it take? To redo it. So, uh, is it a redo? Would it be good to Well, you have to retake the test. Retake the test. Okay. and under certain circumstances, you can actually wave into another bar if you practice okay. long enough, but I hadn't, unfortunately. Okay. So I had to take the bar all over again, uh, which is a, it's a two-day test, eight hours each day, and you just have to learn all the, all the laws. Were there a lot of different nuances from what yeah. you were practicing to what you wanted to practice now? There's certainly a lot of different nuances in the entertainment field, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do it. Right. Uh, because there's so many pitfalls uh, on the legal side. Of and it's one of the industry. reasons, too, that I always explain just because your cousin might be a real estate attorney, That's just because they're an attorney doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they understand what it is that you're getting right. into. What were some of the differences? Where is it that you see this can lead us right into this part of yeah. where is some of the areas you see a lot of 
artists make mistakes early on. Maybe they didn't get that entertainment. Where are some of the early pitfalls that they can run into? Yeah. So one of the earliest pitfalls, and, and if I were to make a checklist, I would say, you know, the first one is make sure that you have the rights to your band name or your artist name. Okay. Uh, this is a trademark issue, of course. Right. And, um, the, what a lot of people think is they can they can look it up and if you know the trademark isn't registered online then they have the right to it and they can go ahead so they and use, use Google it. as their attorney exactly exactly <laughs> and you know what at, at, at points that's fine right for the Google, initial research that, that's right and you can Google it and if you see that someone else is using your name as a musician they have those rights wherever they're using that name okay so I would say avoid all risk find a different name. Your, your name isn't really worth anything yet if you're just so starting So if you out. found them before you've put anything out under that name, exactly right. you will probably lose. Yes. So why even put yourself exactly. into that situation? Exactly. And of course, you're not okay. going to hear from them until you're selling millions of records. Correct. Okay. And at that point, you might have a fight on your hand. And even if you win, you're going to spend a lot of money defending okay. that name. They always say the people who win in the lawsuits are the attorneys. That, that's exactly right. right. That's exactly I might even right. ask you what your favorite lawyer jokes are at the end. We'll, we'll <laughs> so uh, all of them. Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> so the the other thing that I always uh, talk about is when you're when you're hitting the recording studio, okay. you want the proper agreements in place. Uh, even if you're you know having your buddy play on the you know play guitar on the song or your friend sing backup vocals, you always want to make sure you have the right agreements in place so they later can't claim ownership to especially the sound recordings right because they're contributing to the sound recordings so they can technically make an argument that they own a part of that sound recording right and again it's one of those things where it may not become an issue until you're selling millions of. well and i always tell people you want to get everything squared away on the beginning of the relationship it sucks too because scott borchetta who i bring up a lot he says Record deals are the worst because you're having to finalize the divorce before you even get to start in the relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, it, it's, it's very much like a prenuptial You agreement. have to create the worst case scenarios yes. and make sure yes. that you're covered in that. And, and that's what lawyers are meant for. You know, sure. you always want to think of the worst scenarios and hope they never come and up. And speaking of being in the studio, so you want to get, are those work for hires? What is What are the agreements that are most commonly used mm-hmm. and the easiest to obtain and does it make someone look like they, you know, are signing their lives away? Yeah. So work for made for hire is, is probably the most important one, right? Okay. So that, that can be as simple as a one page document that's saying that you're, you're paying someone X amount of dollars or they're doing it for free under your supervision. And uh, it's a work made for hire, which is a legal term under copyright law. Okay. It's essentially saying they're doing it as uh, an employee of you sure. and you're going to own anything that they And create. whatever is agreed upon is what they are compensated for that service, That's whether exactly it be free, right. whether it be 50 bucks, whether it be a hundred bucks, right. whether it be a percent of whatever is determined yep. beforehand is what you want in right. place. Now I get a lot of questions, people asking me, uh, this producer wanted me to sign this agreement and they're wanting part of the copyright mm-hmm. of the song. Yeah. Uh, I know now there's some interesting situations that are going on where producers are not charging a fee and they're taking partial ownership yeah. of the masters because they know most everything starts online. Right. And the majority of the money is paid to the master owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some things that people should be on the lookout of signing a production? Agreement? Yeah. So that was going to be one of my, my next step, right? On is your the checklist. Produce, yeah, exactly. The producer, the producer agreement, which is, you know, the wild west in the music industry. And there's so many different factors that go into it. 
Uh, one is the genre, right? So if, if I'm a band and I'm going into a studio to record, oftentimes, you know, the producer will be an employee of the studio or someone I bring in who I'm paying X amount of dollars for the day to, to produce me. Uh, that's typically a work for hire situation where they're not going to own anything. They don't expect right. to own anything. But once you get into the hip hop world, sometimes the country world, uh, and in the pop world, it's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be talking about how reputable the producer is, um, how much you're paying them up front and how much they're going to want on the back end for, for their work and how much they're contributing, right? If you're a, if you're a hip hop producer, you're making the underlying music. Well, and you're also now considered the majority of the songwriter on the track as well. It used to be the producers just produced the track. They had nothing to do with the songwriting. Now the producers are the writers. And I mean, I've seen things where the the guy who made the track gets 50% and the four lyricists will have to split up the rest. I mean, it's... That, yeah, and, it's and sometimes just the way that it is right now. Sometimes it'll be even greater than that when when you have these these massive producers right. on hand. So, uh, th- my advice for for people starting out is, uh, you know, understand the market and yeah. and who you're using as a producer. Get an entertainment lawyer to look it over uh, to kind of understand the terms uh, because what, the the factors that you'll be looking at is how much you're paying them up front. Sure. What kind of credit they're getting and what kind of royalties they're getting on the background, on the, the back end, both from the songwriter standpoint and from the master side. Another bit of advice that I'd like to give you too is that a lot of times newer artists will get intimidated when in the room with someone who's had some success and they may say, look, just go ahead and sign this. It's standard. It's what we always do. And you're just so excited to be in the room with them. Don't do that. If the person that's asking you to sign something, uh, won't give you a day to at least get it in front of your own person. It's not the right deal for you to be signing and it's not the right person for you to be working with. There, we're not curing cancer. We're not in a hurry. If it can't wait a day or ask them to send it to you ahead of time so that you can get someone to look over it and then make sure whatever it is that was sent to you is also the same thing that has been printed and is put in front of you, especially if you're a parent on behalf of your child, you don't understand sometimes that you could be doing them more harm than good. Uh, in certain states, you can't sign a document on behalf and must, must go to the court so that the court can prove that the person that's doing the work can provide the work that they're staying. I call them minor protected states. Mm-hmm. But there was a time with Motown and there was a time with a couple other younger artists that uh, we don't need to mention that they were kind of taken advantage of and the parents were swindled. So now there's attorneys that specialize in taking minors to court to present their case to the judge. I think the thing that is super important is just don't sign anything until you have your own representative. Yeah. Look at it. Are there situations where an attorney represents both sides? Uh, it, there can be situations where that's the case. I don't, of course I don't advise. Sure. You know, you're, there's a con, clear conflict of interest there. You There's want nothing to illegal to... about that happening, but you don't advise it. Well, it's illegal if, if they don't sign off knowing that there's a conflict of interest. But, okay. you know, I always advise, get your own entertainment attorney to, to look at it. And, you know, the the production, the producer or the record label who's, who's dealing with this might refer you out to someone else uh, that you could use that, you know, they're representing your interests. So that's a little sure. bit different than one attorney okay. representing both sides. Okay. The other question that I get asked a lot has to do with mechanical licenses. Yes. There's 
Some places you could put music online and that streaming platform takes care of paying the licenses and you don't need it. And there's others where you do need it. What is the easiest and safest way to get a mechanical license before putting a song out into the world? So the easiest thing is to look up Harry Fox and you you request a mechanical license from Harry Fox. And what that does is uh, just a quick background on mechanical licenses is, um, you know, when you're the creator of a song, you have all these rights uh, in copyright yep. for you um, where folks can't infringe on your copyrights. Uh, once you release your music into the public, there's a compulsory license automatically that anyone can cover your song. Right. Uh, as long as they're not changing it up too much. They can create their own song. It has to be their sound recording, and they can release that into the world. Now, it's limited to the sound recordings. Right. It's not, they cannot have it on music videos. They cannot not have it online, technically. Okay. Um, uh, you know, through with videos, such as YouTube, but we can get into that a so little bit. So if I'm playing the song, that's considered a video using their music. That's right. Okay. That's right. And, you know, when, when you're talking about YouTube and Facebook and things like that, Technically, everyone who's covering songs on YouTube is infringing the copyright, but YouTube has procedures in order um, to notify the the intellectual property rights holder right. that, you know, someone had posted this cover song, what would you like to do? And they have, you know, three options. They can tell the, the person who posted the song to take it down. Mm-hmm. They can put ads on, on the song and get paid for it, or they can just leave it alone and let them do whatever they want to do. So that's where the inconsistencies lie, because you'll hear some people say, I've put up covers for years and never gotten any trouble. And somebody says, man, I put up my first one and it got taken down. Right. right. And there, there's also different issues with the content ID of YouTube. Sometimes with safe harbor provisions uh, in the law, they automatically take it down and you have to argue that it's either not an infringement okay. or they have to get approval from uh, the intellectual property. So to be safe, you contact the Harry Fox agency, you let yeah. them know what it is that you would like to do. They will tell you. It's like one of the things that really upset me when Universal was the worst publishing was just yanking everything down mm-hmm. is that they weren't telling people how to what go to do. do it. Yeah. It's like, okay, I understand I messed up, but how do I fix it? Right. Where, where do I go get the license? Instead, right. you've got Ed Sheeran on Facebook apologizing to his fans who he loves going on there and watching people covering right. the songs because yeah. that, it's thing. helping build his brand yeah. and everyone was pulling it off. And yeah. one of the things that I, I try to share with you guys is that unfortunately, In the music business, we are not all participating in the same revenue stream. So we are all fighting for different parts of this dollar or penny, I should say, or part of a penny. So the publishing may block something over here. It might be the label who owns the master recording over here. It might be one of the songwriters publishers who doesn't like the fact that you use the lyric video and they're not getting paid for those words. There's streaming came out and said, we'll pay the master rights holder and the label and the artist, the higher percentage and radio was only paying the publishers and the songwriters in the very beginning. So it's kind of all over the place. I tell you, we're trying to function in a dysfunctional business, but know that do the best you can at where you are to get the proper permission so that you can go build your, your brand so that you can start. But one of the things that we talked about last night is someone had brought up, well, what if I just record a bunch of cover songs, put them on a CD and start selling them at my live shows? Yes. Yeah. And we we (laughs) talked about that and there's issues there. And and we were talking about, you know, when you go to a manufacturing company and you tell them, they're going to ask you. Yeah. If if it's a cover song, a lot of them won't do it. Right. Because 
that they don't want the risk that you're not going to be reporting it to the Harry Fox agency. Uh, so there's there's issues there. At that point, I would advise not just not doing that. Well, and I said something last night, too, as I said, you wouldn't want somebody stealing your stuff. Because exactly. it is stealing. That's basically what it is. If you're taking somebody else's work and you're putting it out as your own and collecting money and they're not getting paid, legally, you are stealing. And karma's a bitch, man. You don't yeah. want that to come back right. and get you. In parting, what advice will you give folks? And then I'll make sure that your contact information uh, is made available to them. But in parting, what would you, what would you like to leave them with? Uh, I, I would just say do as much research as you can. You know, re- read as many books as you can. Uh, find find good resources. Uh, we talked about it last night. The Donald Passman, everything you need to know about yep. the music business, is one of the bibles in the music industry. Get that, read through it, and then use it as a resource when things start coming up. You want to be able to recognize that there are legal consequences. You want to be able to recognize that when you're going in the studio with someone and they're recording on your song, that something needs to be done. So you just want to do your research into those legal pitfalls so you're able to either hire someone to help you avoid them or you can avoid them on your own. Last two things, this got brought up. When is the time to hire an entertainment attorney and what should you look for in an entertainment attorney? Yeah, so um, when to hire an entertainment attorney is... When you're asking that question, it's probably time to have a consultation with someone. That's exactly right. And I would say hiring an entertainment lawyer and contacting an entertainment lawyer are two different things. When you're contacting one, it doesn't mean you're necessarily hiring them. You know, make that first step and and talk to them. They might say, look, there's no issue here. You don't you know, you don't need me. You can do it on your own or there's nothing to be done here. You know, but at least you're making that phone call and covering your bases. Uh, when you're looking for an entertainment attorney, like you said earlier, uh, don't use your mom's real estate attorney. He might think he knows or he might look it up quickly, but there are so many different intricacies as we just explained. Pay now or pay later. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. So find someone who is, is working in the industry. Find someone that you trust, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and someone that, uh, you think that You'll call every time that you think there's an issue and you think they're going to pick up and help you out along the way. For someone who's brand new to this, a lot of times an attorney, that first 15 minutes is a free consultation to kind of see if you really even have anything. After that, is it best to to ask them what their hourly rate is? Is it what's the etiquette in saying, OK, is it a, for the project? Is it mm. an hourly rate? No one wants surprises. No one right. likes surprises like what happens in the producer's <laughs> yeah, room a right. lot of times. What is proper etiquette when discussing money? So you, you can ask them right away uh, okay. what the situation is. Now, a lot of people ask me, what do you charge for X, Y, and Z? And I can't give them a, a straight answer until I know more facts about the okay. case. Uh, the one thing I do say is, look, you're not getting charged for anything until you sign an engagement letter with me. So you know exactly the terms of what you're going to get paid for. So just make sure that they're not doing any sub- substantive legal work with you until you know clearly what it is, what, what you're, you have to pay them for. And a lot of the times, you know, I do a lot of flat fee, uh, rates when, not, you know, it's something that I know how right. long it's going to take. If it's something a little bit more complicated, then we get into hourly rates and retainers and things like that. But it, there's a huge range between uh, all different entertainment attorneys. You've point. been super helpful. Uh, so appreciate it. Yeah, we'll make you. sure that all the contact information is made available to you guys. And uh, we appreciate you. Thank you. Very if much. this is your uh, first time checking us out on the podcast, you can uh, do me a favor. And I'd really appreciate it if you would go and subscribe. If you need show notes for any uh, episode, this episode, go to rickbarker.com. 
click on the podcast button. You'll get the ability to grab the past show notes. While you're there, you can also grab a free copy of my book. And uh, once again, thank you very much to uh, Colin Marr for his time and his advice. And I'll see you on the next episode. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com. Take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.